we can grow in you. Because, Lord, there's no greater honor than to know you and be known by you. God, we praise you. We give you this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. Can I have a seat? Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, don't open them up at this exact moment. I know, isn't that terrifying? Let's just pause. A little bit of an update. Um, Good morning, great to see you. Beautiful morning. The snow is taking its toll on a few this morning, I see. But you are the rugged ones, and I am proud to see you to have you here. A little bit of an update just by way of body life before we look into God's word this morning, by way of announcements. How best to explain it? I was thinking like this. When we were young as a family, uh, we lived originally in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and God called us to serve the Lord in Nova Scotia, Canada. We inevitably had to make that drive back and forth numerous times every single year. Um, if you have ever been on a long journey before, this is day before the days of everyone having the private iPad in front of them, okay? Um, think about, it is at that time um, about a 24-hour drive. So we as a family, there's four of us in the back seat, dad and mom up front, we tried several different variations. We tried to sleep, tried to go all the way through the 24 hours. That never worked. That's miserable. We tried to break it up into two 12-hour trips. That's miserable. We tried to break it into three eight-hour trips. That's just three days of misery. Any way you look at it, a really long drive is really hard. There's the excitement initially, the anticipation. We're going somewhere and you're all packed up. You got your little bag of snacks, okay? Think about what? The whole journey, and then it's the last hour, hour and a half. Dad, how much longer? Dad, how much longer? We have already been lost. We've been in traffic jams. We've had a flat tire. One time, my little sister ate an entire bag of Oreos. We had to stop, pull over so she could throw up on the side of the road. Journeys, long trips, long journeys are hard. And what happens in that last hour, hour and a half, it gets choppy in that back seat, doesn't it? We have been on a journey, as you are well aware, with our little building project. It has been, what, at least at least a year just in the construction phase, let alone we go back in preparation two, three years prior to that. Let, let me tell you this, okay? How much longer? How much longer, Dad? How much longer, Dad? We will get there safely, and we will get there soon. Let me remind you of that. I know there's a lot of questions of why did we go this way? Uh, How come we got stuck here? Um, We made an announcement several months back that we are shooting to have Easter service April the 1st in the new building. And let me report to you that we will be having Easter service in the new building. Praise God for that. However, going to be a little rougher than we had initially thought, okay? 
We were, we were constantly elders praying, Vision 2020 praying, deacons working diligently. We've been confronted with, with two choices. Are we going to stay on budget or are we going to stay on schedule? Okay? We have chosen the former. Okay? We have chosen to stay on budget. Let me report to you, we are still on budget, but we are not on schedule. Okay? So think about being in the back seat elbowing one another, and we get frustrated with one another, please. Dad, how much longer? You know what? Every single time my dad said, we're going to get there when we get there, we got there. So let me remind you, patience, we're almost there. It's that last hour and a half long journey in a very, very, very long ride. All the glory goes to God. It's his time frame, not ours. So please, let me just remind you of that. And during this time, please, please continue to be in prayer for Gary, for his crew. Uh, when we get opportunities to be over there, that's in the Lord's hands. We will be there for April the 1st on Easter. We look forward to that. Perhaps bring a blanket for your niece, my wife said. Either way, we will be there, okay? And so we rejoice in that. So I just ask that you would simply be in prayer, be of one mind, and we will get there when we get there. Okay? Let's pray before we look into um, our new series. I'm excited about Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. And we will begin by praying together. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do come before you as your children And Father, we just plead once again, another morning you've given to us, we just plead for your help, your strength, your guidance, and your clarity as you reveal your word to us. Part of us thinks, Lord, that that you would get tired of us coming to you asking over and over and over again. And, And yet we know that as any loving parent, We, as your children, can come at any time. We can come directly to you. And you want us to come. And you love us, and we thank you for that. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst, that even as we go through human feelings of frustration or impatience, may we be reminded of the the vision that you've given to us to patiently build relationships with those in this, in this building this morning, but also with those in this community, that lives would be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to remain on task and on focus and on mission. Father, now, as we have your word open before us, I would ask that you, that, that your spirit would speak and, and, Lord, remind us of who you are. May we leave this morning knowing that we heard a word from you, not not from a man. Use me however you see fit, simply as a vessel that is to be filled up by your spirit and poured out for your glory. Please help me in this process. Pray for ones that are sitting here today whose hearts are heavy, whose souls ache. God, may you in a special way wrap your arms around them. Remind them of your care. 
Remind them of the fact that you're in complete control. Remind all of us, Lord, of the amazing plan that you have to come and rescue us from ourselves, from our sinfulness, and that you have given to us the hope of eternal glory. Help us now to live and to learn for your glory. We ask this in precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, Jonah is a little book that is tucked in the midst of a long list of hard to pronounce and to tell you with the pages still moving, hard to find book, okay? Think minor prophets, think what Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's almost easiest to start from the back of the Old Testament and then move forward. Um, we know that Jonah is only four chapters long. Um, entirety, it's only 48 verses long. It's a little book, but it offers a, a lifetime, a lifetime of lessons for you and I. My dad was only about five foot eight. Sometimes he would stretch it to five foot nine, but he would also, also, almost always remind us that great things come in little packages. And I think about that with the book of Jonah. It is considered a minor prophet, but it holds a major message. It is a powerful message of God's sovereignty that we'll see. This is not about what, what uh, make a moral adjustment so that you don't get eaten by a whale. Okay, that's not what this book is about. This has a big message, a high message, a holy message on God's sovereignty, that God has a plan and that his plan will be fulfilled perfectly. Let me say that again. God has a plan. He's not up there scratching his head. Okay, like what next? He has a plan and his plan will be fulfilled perfectly. But you think, wait a minute, doesn't God's perfect plan kind of go less than perfect at times? Yes, yes, it does. Why? Because, because God chooses to use what? Imperfect people like, like you and I and like Jonah in order to fulfill his perfect plan. So let's keep that in mind. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read down through verse 3. At this, at this pace, we will be added Jonah by December, I'm certain, okay? Just to let you know. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Three things I want to give to you this morning. The first one is what we have to, we have to paint the background, what I call the setting of Jonah. You need to know some of this before we go any further into it. Jonah, his, his name means dove. Um, he is Jewish and he is a prophet. He is an Old Testament prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks 
the very words of God. A prophet is one who is a spokesman on behalf of God. The son of Amittai, it means the son of my faithfulness. I think that's fairly appropriate because Jonah runs away. Jonah is faithless, yet what? God remains faithful at all times. Jonah will be the object of God's faithful love. Now, there's no specific name mentioned, or this letter is not signed, this story is not signed by way of uh, the name of the author, but it appears that Jonah is telling his own story. We, we know actually quite precisely the date and time that, that Jonah prophesied, because in 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah is actually mentioned specifically by name in verse 25. He, he prophesied during the time of King Jeroboam II, which is around 780 to 750 BC. This is shortly following the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. This is just some of the backgrounds, some of the setting. Israel at this particular time in history had run far, far far from the Lord. They were living in disobedience. The ministry of the prophets was to call Israel back to repentance. The unique part of Jonah is that Jonah is not being used by God to preach a message of repentance to Israel. This is the only prophet that God actually calls to preach a message of repentance to Israel's Enemies, unlike any other prophet out there. Arise, go to Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh, that great city? And call out against it, for their evil has come upon me or before me. Nineveh was founded by the famous Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah. Nimrod's dad was Cush. Nimrod's grandfather was Ham. His great-grandfather would have been Noah. We know as well that Nineveh is a major city. It says in chapter 3, verse 3, that it took three days in order to walk across across the breadth of it. It is a large city, is an important city. It is actually a very impressive city. It is the capital of Assyria. Archaeological digs have revealed the fact that there were public squares In Nineveh, there were parks, there were botanical gardens, there was even a zoo that they discovered. But Nineveh's in absolute, absolute wicked city. It's hard to describe in public settings the degree of their wickedness because they were so brutal, particularly in the treatment of those that they Conquered, I will leave the details out. Matthew Henry does quote, Nineveh was at that time the metropolis of the Assyrian monarch, an eminent city, a great city, great in the number of inhabitants, as appears by the multitude of infants. In chapter 4, verse 11, it uses this term, there's 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from the right hand. There's argued interpretation, get that. People don't necessarily agree on the interpretation. Don't know the left hand from the right hand. Some, some believe that's a baby, that's an infant. They don't know the left hand from the right hand. Others would say those that are spiritually blinded, they're so blinded spiritually, they don't know the right from their left. Regardless, we know that there is a significant number of people. It is great in power. It is great in its dominion. 
It was a city that is referred to as ruling over the kings of the earth. But great cities, Matthew Henry says, as well as great men, are under God's government and judgment. Nineveh was a great city and yet a heathen city without the knowledge and worship of the true God. How many great cities and great nations are there that sit in darkness in the valley of the shadow of death? End quotes. Nineveh is located on the eastern banks of the Tigris River. If you know at all anything about geography, Nineveh actually exists still today in northern Iraq under another name, and it is the city of Mosul. I think you've heard Mosul a little bit in the news recently by way of, by way of its recent liberation from ISIS. Interesting to note that it is considered a place that even today many would say, what? Um, yeah, that's not the first place on my long list of, of places to visit to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. It gives us a little bit of the background of Jonah and the city that he was called to go to the setting of Jonah. Secondly, we look at the theme of Jonah. In my preparation, it's very, very easy to see who is the star of this book, and it's not Jonah, okay? Let me read to you a couple of verses. Chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, chapter 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Chapter 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Chapter 3, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Chapter 3, verse 10, God saw what they did. God relented of the disaster. Chapter 4, the Lord said in verse 4. In verse 6, the Lord God appointed a plant. Verse 7, God appointed a worm. Verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, verse 11, and the Lord said, I pity Nineveh, that great city. I understand what's happening here. When you begin to get a little bit of the theme of Jonah, it's not about Jonah. Why? Because the Lord is the one who is in absolute control. He's the star of the show. Can we hit pause just for a minute? Hit pause just for a moment on this whole narrative through Jonah. Your life, you have a story, right? So sometimes you, you write your story or you tell your story. Can I remind you that you are never to be the star of the show? Okay? Never. You're not the star of the show. On August the 26th, 1968, God allowed me to be born. In, in 1972, God drew me unto himself. In 1975, God called us as a family to move up to Canada. In 1982, God introduced me to my wife. We were 12 and 13 years old at the time. In 1991, 1993, God blessed us with a son and a daughter. God led us into ministry. God protected us and preserved us in ministry. God, what brought us to Lock Haven, Pennsylvania? God did everything in our story, in my story, in your story. And certainly God is the star of the show in Jonah's story. Let's go back to this. Let's go back to this. 
God calls Jonah, rise, go to Nineveh, what, 27, 2800 years ago from now. 27, 2800 years ago, he sent a message that has stood the test of time ever since. Jonah, I want you to go to this big, bad, nasty city. God is sending a message that what? God in his sovereignty loves the unlovable. God is sending not just Jonah a message, but you and I this morning, that God calls us in his sovereign reign and rule to love our enemies. And also that God has a plan to save them. This this is so important that God sent his own son, wrapped him in the flesh of what? A little screaming baby, helpless. So that when Jesus grew up as a perfect, sinless individual, he, he speaks and he ministers and he says this in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and onward. This is what, what, this is what God's plan is. So important that he sent his own son to say this, but I say to you who hear me, love your enemies. Wait, wait a minute. We, we, don't even like, we don't even like to hang around certain people, let alone love our enemies. Do you realize how far this is off from us? Love those? It adds. Do, do good to those who hate you. Yeah, but that doesn't exist in our world today. Like somebody says something mad about me, and I'm just going to say something mad back, and we just have this at it. No, no, that's not what it, that's not what it says in the word of God, the authority of God's word says, you do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. This is the words of God himself. Jesus is speaking. Pray for those who abuse you. No, 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 I'll call the lawyer, but I'm not going to pray for someone who has abused me. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus continues on, like he's not even done here. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? Any, anybody loves those that you love to hang around. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Second time, it's repeated. But if you lend to those who from you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Can lend expecting nothing in return. How foreign is this language from us today? I'll loan you this as long as I can borrow your, your, your something later on. And your reward, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He concludes in verse 36 of, John, uh, of Luke chapter 6. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. There, there, there's a theme that's going to run all the way through this. 
God in his sovereign plan loves the unlovable and he has a plan to save them. Let me tell you this, people, you and I as followers of Jesus, we are called to an absolute radical, some would even use the term fanatical faith in a really big God. We are called to that. There is a huge misunderstanding in our world today that goes something like this. God loves those who love him. Think about that. That's, that's the general understanding that God loves those who love him. That is not true. We know that. Why? John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world. God, God loves everyone, and we are called to do exactly the same. But wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's people in this world that hurt other people. There's people in this world, you have their names and their faces etched in your mind. There's people in this world, there's people in your life that have hurt you. Guess what? God loves them and so are you and I to love them. Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute. There's people that like, they have lied. Right to, they've sat right across from me and they lied right to my face. God loves those people and you and I are called to do exactly the same. Yeah, yeah but there's people that like have cheated. Like they, they, cheated, they cheated me out. They weren't good to their word. They stole from, from me. They stole from others. And not only did they cheat, not only did they steal, but they laughed about it and they bragged about it. Well, God loves those people, and you and I are called to love them as well. Yeah, but wait, wait a minute. There's like there's levels here, aren't right? there? Are people that are murderers? They've killed other people. There are ones in our society who are rapists, ones who hurt little children. There's terrorists who strap bombs on themselves and teach others to do the same. Teach a child to strap a bomb and walk them. It's terror. God loves the terrorist. And we are called to love them as well. There are people that deny God. They mock God. They try to. If they could, they would spit in the face of God. Well, God loves them. And you and I are called to love them as well. Peter described it like this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Peter, Peter, Peter couldn't even watch. He was terrified and he ran, but he got word because his buddy John was there. And, and, and John said there were people that were, there were people that were spitting in his face. They're spitting at him and they're cursing him. And John, John, I'm certain, said he wouldn't believe what I saw. 
And Peter wrote this down. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Listen to this. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, but he trusted to him who judges justly. There's an authority. And it's not you. It's not me. Yeah, yeah but there's, there's like a 19-year-old boy. This, this tormented 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz who walks into a high school, pulls, pulls fire alarms so that everyone runs out into the hallways and he just starts opening fire. He starts just shooting kids on Valentine's Day. 17 people are dead. 15 people are shot up in the hospital. Do you realize that God loves the Nicholas Cruises in this world? And you and I are called to love them and pray for them too. And it's in complete radical, some would even say fanatical faith in a big God. The theme, the theme throughout this book, as we will see, the theme is clear. God, in his sovereign rule, loves the unlovable and has a plan to save them. And guess what? You and I get to be a part. We get to have like a little tiny part in his sovereign plan. Thirdly and finally, there's a problem. The problem with Jonah. There's a problem with Jonah. We see the setting of Jonah. We see the theme of Jonah, but there's the problem with Jonah. Let me tell you this. It's the same problem that we have today. Before we were like, Jonah, I can't believe you did that. Come on, God said go. You need to go. No, no, no. There's a problem with Jonah. It's the exact same problem that we have. We think our plan is better than God's plan. That's what it boils down to. We actually think that our plan is better than God's plan. When it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. We actually could just read it like this. Um, The word of the Lord came to Jonah and says, Arise and go to your enemies. I, I think it's an understatement to say that Jonah had a little bit of problem with the words, with the instruction that God was giving him. Agreed? Yeah, yeah, he had a problem. The result, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Matter of fact, that phrase I underlined in my Bible, it it occurs twice in that same verse. Jonah says, what? What? He says, I'm going to pay the fare. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Twice in verse 3. I know what I do. God calls me to obedience, and I'm going to, I think my plan is better than his plan. I'm heading to Tarshish. Baker, Encyclopedia of the Bible, defines it. They don't know precisely. Tarshish is simply a place regarded as distant from Israel. There are many proposed countries as the site from Sardinia to Great Britain, but the most, listen to this, the most commonly accepted identification of Tarshish is in Spain. Okay, think Mediterranean Sea, okay? The easternmost part of the Mediterranean Sea. I've been in Joppa before. It's right on the coast, easternmost part of the Mediterranean Sea. If you know anything about the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, you can't go any further. What? What is west? Spain. Jonah's like, get me a ticket 
to get as far as I possibly can go away from God. You can't go any further. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. This is, this is what, this is what I call the true great escape. There's a word for it. It's a word that you, you sat your little two-year-old son or daughter down and you told them about this word called disobedience. It's unacceptable. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. Jonah actually thought for a brief moment that he could run from and escape God. Let me tell you this. Many people think exactly the same thing today. Many people think that they they actually can get away. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't run. Okay, you can run. Anyone here, okay, we can run. You are free to jump on any bus you want. You are free to jump on any plane, any ship, any bike, any skateboard, whatever you want. You're free to get on that thing and go. You're free to run fast and you're free to run far. You're you're free to get in your car and drive. You're free to say what you want. You're free to spend what you want. You're free to eat what you want. You're free to abandon, to neglect, to reject to discard, to throw off or throw away anything and everything that speaks of God. In, in, the, in the book of Jonah, we see the free will of mankind on full display. But let me tell you this, it does not negate the presence and the power of a sovereign God. Well, in the book of Jonah, one of the key truths that surface all the way up through, and we certainly see it here early in the book, is what? It, it exposes human folly and, and foolery. That's what, it, that's what it exposes. The biggest mistake, do you realize this? The biggest mistake that you and I can make in all of life is to disobey God's word, God's instruction, and try to run from the presence of God. The biggest mistake that any one of us could ever do is disregard the word of God, disregard and disobey God, and what? Try to run from his presence. God's word is very, very clear. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. Children can actually, what? They can pick up on the idea of what it means to turn from wickedness, stop being disobedient, and start being obedient. A child can get that. Repent and believe. God's word is very clear. Trust. Just trust. There's an authority. Okay? There is a just judgment. Trust in the name of of the Lord. God's word is very clear on what you and I are called to do today. You go and you make disciples. You teach people to obey everything that God has commanded. This is not like up for debate. This is very clear. God's word is very clear. We are to love one another. Yeah, but he's got bad breath and he always like talks too close to me. No, no, no. We're called to love one another. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to submit to one another. Husbands are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
It's, it's very clear. Children, obey. This is not up for a debate. Yeah, but you know, they haven't had their, their snack yet, or they haven't had their, their video time yet, or they have no children are called to obey. You can't like parse that away. God's word is very clear that you and I are to walk worthy. You and I are called to what? Redeem the time. To, to don't, don't forsake the gathering together, the assembling of ourselves together. Like This isn't hard stuff. We're repeatedly instructed in God's word to sing. Open your mouth. You're instructed to, to praise and to pray. You're instructed. You will be witnesses. We're instructed to remember me, Jesus says, and tell others about me. Jesus says, look, look for my return. Every day we wake up, we pull the curtains back. Maybe this is the day. Every day, God's word is very clear. You and I are given opportunities to obey or disobey. You and I, just like Jonah, are given an opportunity to be part of God's sovereign plan to love the unlovable. We live in a community where many of you do not want to spend any time alongside the bulk of who we're actually supposed to be ministering to. You would choose to hang around what? The safe place. People that look like us and talk like us. And yet God calls us to another task. We're, we're preparing. No wonder that there are God-given delays. Praise God for that. We are preparing to what cross over to do ministry. And, and I, I think that God has a perfect plan. Like we're, we're, not, we're still not learning certain things here. God calls us to love those people that we don't even like to spend time with. Jonah was chosen by God to bring a saving word to his enemies. But Jonah said, I don't want my enemies saved. They're wicked. They're rebellious. They're haters. They're idolaters. Let me tell you this. Jonah's going to learn the hard way. I call it 72 hours in hell. Three days, it says in the belly of a whale. He refers to it as Sheol. But, but he realizes what? He realizes that God's in control. He's not. Let's learn from Jonah this morning. That, that you know, we can be just like him. There's certain people like, yeah, he did something like really bad to me. I, I don't want to, to be kind. I don't want to love. But let me tell you this. If we are to love Jesus... If we are to love Jesus, we are to have a love for all people. Stop. That's it. Right there. If we are to have a love for Jesus, then we are to have a love for all people. I love how Jesus displays his love for us. Remember the communion table as we regularly gather the third Sunday of the month. Pause, and we get a a glimpse, we get a view of God's love on display for us. It says we were enemies, but he came and he offered his own son. 
we are given an amazing reminder, a, a visible, tangible, we can, we can smell it, we can taste it, symbol of what Jesus Christ did for us. He offered his own body to be broken and his blood to be poured out on our behalf. We were his enemies and yet he offered his own love. There's, there's not like, just like take a moral redirect with the message of Jonah here. It's not just, it's not, or else the fish is going to swallow. No, it's not that. It is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like God gives a word to Jonah to say, repent, believe, you and I are given an opportunity to repent and believe in the work that Jesus Christ, and this is a picture of what he's done. That picture was given the first evening when Jesus was in the upper room and he was meeting with his disciples the very night he was betrayed before he went to Gethsemane, before he was arrested, betrayed, arrested, tried, before he was crucified. He was in that upper room and sitting with with those 12 disciples and he took some bread. It was unleavened bread at, at that place in that time and it was flat and they would have pulled it apart he broke it and he, and he showed the disciples. He said, look at this, Peter, look at this, John, look at this, Thomas. What happened to this bread is going to happen to my body, literally within moments, exactly what happens, within hours. Jesus also, it says, took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And as he was pouring, he said, this, this is a picture of my blood. Some false doctrine would say that this actually is his blood. No, it's grape juice. It's Welch's grape juice. I saw it. Smells like it. Just a picture. Jesus probably poured out actual wine. And they passed around. They took a sip. When they tasted it, he said, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget my blood that was poured out to rescue. The Roman soldiers that were mocking and spitting at and nailing Jesus to the cross, that reviled Jesus and he didn't revile them in return. He loved them. Jesus even cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many times, how many times do we hear atrocities? Horrible, horrible atrocities, just like this past week. And when we get angry, as opposed to praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They're blinded to sin. And that God has what called us to show love. As we receive this in just a moment, Take that as a reminder of the what? Radical, even fanatical faith in a big God that we've been called to. And I ask the elders to come up at this time, those elders that are here, and they're going to serve this to you. Please understand that this is, this is exclusively reserved for anyone who's put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Okay? If you've not done this, I don't want to be rude like come into our house, but don't have this. If you have not trusted Christ, and this isn't for you. However, today is the day of salvation. And you clearly, even in this moment, 
say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Have mercy upon me a sinner. And I trust you to be my Savior and I want you to be my Lord. And please take this, receive this. We'll take the, the bread first. You'll be receiving that. We'll ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then we will take the cup together. Would you pray with me? Father, we um, come before you just to express gratitude for who you are. Even as your enemies, you sought to reconcile us unto you by offering your own son to suffer and feel the full weight of your wrath on our behalf. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. Pay the sacrifice for all of our sins once and for all. I thank you for this bread and this cup that that remind us and are a picture of, of the body and the blood of Christ. We thank you that it says in your word, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness, no remission of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that it's not by eating this bread and drinking this cup that we're forgiven. It's by putting our faith, our full faith, in the work of Jesus. Lord, help us to have that um, renewed in our minds, refreshed. Help us to remember. Help us to never forget. Help us to tell of others of the love that you've shown us. We ask this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he says that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. For you, do this in remembrance of me.
says in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.